Well, good morning again, folks. Um, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 3. <laughs> and well, we're going to cover chapter 3, but I hope your Bible's like mine where it shows both chapter 2 and chapter 3 side by side because we're going to go back a little bit into chapter 2 um, just for the sake of, uh, of context. And Jake's, uh, Jake's checking me there because I wrote the uh, wrong chapter number on my notes just for his benefit to confuse the uh, technicians back there. So <laughs> we will be uh, covering part of chapter 2. And just by way of reminder, um, on last week's sermon, Howard talked to us about the importance of gentleness and um, being a gentle servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, I'm going to just recap verses 25 and 26, where it says, In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Okay, so... The whole emphasis of uh, Howard's message last week was on being that gentle s servant so um, that those who are outside, it says in the end of verse 25, so that they may know the truth, right? And that's where we're going to pick up this week is what happens when you don't know the truth. That's the, the main context of, of this week's message, and it's a... Uh, it's a, it's a polar opposite of, of last week. So I don't want to just say, here's all this bad news about what happens if you don't know the truth, because that would be taking it out of context. The context is we're supposed to be that gentle servant who knows the truth and is showing others the truth, okay? So that's what lends, that part lends weight to what I have to say today and what Paul uh, goes into in chapter 3. Um, so just by kind of way of summary, I'm going to sum up what we said, and then I'm going to read it all the way through so you can see how, that, how it kind of fits. Um, so Paul says in the beginning of chapter 3 that there's difficult times coming, and then he lists 19 different attributes of the, the difficult characters that men are going to have in the last time, that's going to be true, uh, of, by and large, of the world's population. And it's all because of, as I said earlier, it's all because they don't know the truth. And then there's going to be a warning in verse 6 and 7 about being led away by the, by the way that the world is. So let's go ahead and um, read it and we'll see. I'm just going to read the whole thing and then we'll break it down into sections. Okay, beginning in chapter 3, verse 1. Paul writes, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. 
For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Johnny's and Johnbury's resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. So that's a bit of a mouthful, but a bit of a long section. And as you can see, there's quite a list there um, that when you read it, it's kind of a discouraging, downheartening list of all sorts of um, (laughs) bad character attributes. Um, But we know that these character attributes, they're... It says, beware, because uh, in the last days, perilous times will come. It's saying, this is what's going to be the character of men, by and large, in the world. Now, we know that these things have always been true of mankind since the fall, right? We've always, since the fall, we've always been proud and haughty and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God and so on and so forth, right? It's, it's been true of mankind in his fallen state. But what Paul's saying is it's getting worse, right? It's getting worse, not better. And I don't really need to expound on that a whole lot because I think we see that in today's day and age, right? Do you feel safer when you, uh, go, when you uh, leave your house alone for a week? Do you feel safer now than you did 20 years ago? How about 50 years ago? Right for people that can remember back, back that far, I can't. Um, <laughs> but right, it's the world has not gotten any safer or any better in terms of the character and morality of mankind. We are trending worse and worse, and it's because we're getting farther and farther away from the knowledge of God and the knowledge of His truth and the and the power of it. And so. Paul's writing this as a warning. That's what he's saying in verse 1. He says, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. It's going to get, uh, another translation on perilous might be difficult or hard to endure. Uh, It's going to get more and more difficult. It's going to get more and more perilous to be in the world. And the world is going to continue more and more to try and stamp people into its mold, right? And there's uh, 19 things here. I don't want to spend time going over each one of the the 19 things because some people's eyes are going to start to roll back in their heads. Um, But but there's, um, I do want to emphasize that there's a few things that stand out that I think I can easily, uh, some of them are more easily observed than others, and so I want to kind of point to them. Um, the first to right off the bat, um, for men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. Anybody see that going on around us today? Lovers of ourselves, right? With all of the uh, money we pour into entertainment, uh, legal and illegal, um, and uh, luxury and nice things and cars and houses and uh, 
you know, the, the, just on and on and on it goes. Man is ultimately centered on himself. Lovers of self. We see it. That's, it, it describes the world around us perfectly, doesn't it? Everybody's consumed with living for me. I've got to get a good job. I've got to get that nice car. I've got to get that, uh, that 75-inch or 80-inch or however big the TVs are these days, right? I need these things, right? There's nothing, it's not that there's something wrong with the things themselves. It's the, the attitude of me, 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 right? And that describes especially American culture perfectly, doesn't it? Lovers of money, right? I want to have more money so I can compare myself, right? That whole keeping ahead of the Joneses, right? I want to be able to compare myself to my neighbor and say, I've got the nicer watch, I've got the nicer car, I've got the better painted house or the bigger house or whatever. It's all about comparing ourselves to the guy next to us and saying, I've done it, I've gotten better off, and I'm not happy until I'm better off than the guy next to me. Right? That describes this, <laughs> this, our current situation perfectly. Boasters, proud... Um, I'm just going to take a step back here. Did you notice how many of these um, refer to pride? You've got boasters, right? Pride, pride, proud, pride. And then let's see, uh, in verse 4, haughty uh, and headstrong and so on and so forth. There's plenty of roots of evil that stem from pride in ourselves because we don't know the truth about how God sees us. (laughs) And when you ignore that truth, then it's pretty easy to get puffed up about yourself because our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Um, blasphemers, those who take sacred things and profane them, right? Uh, taking the Lord's name in vain, um, and so on and so forth, Make it, making a mockery of those things that are good. Um, Now, you might wonder, some of these things in here seem a little more uh, heinous, right? Um, Blasphemer seems to be someone who speaks against God, right, and profanes his name. That seems to be worse than being disobedient to parents, (laughs) right? If If it seems that way, right? But Paul's lumping it all in here. He says all these things, they're what define mankind, it's all, all bad. Unthankful, right? How many times a day do we forget to be thankful? Right? There's, a, there's a rebuke there, I think, to all of us. Um, unholy, right? Embracing all sorts of, of wickedness and not um, living a blameless character. Uh, falling, fall, fall, I can speak. Falling far short of God's standard of perfection. Unloving and unforgiving. Uh, there's quite a bit of... Um, I, could, I could spend a whole, a whole sermon here talking about what happens to a society when we're unloving towards one another. And it's, it's not that sort of tolerance, I'm okay with you, right? It's genuine concern for one another's well-being and it must be true of a church if a church is to hold together. But how, 
sad the world is that men don't love one another. And beyond that, um, this word can also mean um, not giving proper love, right? So a, uh, not, not properly loving. So in other words, um, you would naturally expect a child to love its parents or a parent to love their child. And we see all over, the, all over the world today, parents abandoning their children and children rising up in hatred against their parents, right? That's what it's talking about when it's saying uh, unloving, right? Not having that proper love which mankind ought to have for one another in the natural order of things. And on and on this list goes, without self-control, brutal, uh, despisers of good. That, uh, that one, despisers of good, really stood out to me. Um, because you see all over uh, society today, you'll see good things made fun of, right? Uh, uh, even so far as, as good actions, noble actions, right? A man holds open a door for a woman and someone says, ah, that's sexist, right? No, it's not. It's polite, <laughs> You know, don't mock what is good. There's a, there's a goodness to politeness wherever it is, right? It doesn't have to be, obviously, just holding doors. But I just give that as an example of saying, look, they're taking what is good and making fun of it. And, and evil things, on the other hand, evil things are uh, um, regarded as common and ordinary um, I was uh, listening to sports talk radio a couple weeks ago, and um, in the midst of talking about football players and baseball players and all this other stuff, the sportscaster just started talking about pornography like it was the normalest thing in the world. I had to change the channel. You know, that's not normal. You can't elevate that as a normal part of lifestyle. That's a perverted and evil thing. Don't talk about it like it's normal. So... That's the sort of things I see in our society today where I say, you can't, it, it's all screwed up. <laughs> it's all, <laughs> top to bottom, right? And I, I'm already telling you things that you know, but you should be on the lookout for these things, right? If I had listened to that sportscaster on the radio talking and said, oh yeah, that is really prevalent in our society today. Maybe we ought to just accept it as normal. I would have been accepting a lie, right? You, can, you have to know that these things are lies. You have to know what the truth is. Um, somebody has a bumper plate, right? Uh, a license plate frame right out here in the parking lot. It says, prevent truth decay, read your Bible. Is that one yours, Renee? Yeah, fantastic. That's my whole, my whole sermon in, uh, in a license plate frame. I, I was just pulling in. I was like, ha, perfect. <laughs> Uh, that, that's it, right? Know the truth. Prevent the decay of the truth by knowing the word. And I hardly need to elaborate in verse 4 on men being lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I'm just going to say about this one in particular. Yes, we would expect that of the world because they don't know God. They don't know the truth. 
So of course they're going to be focused on themselves and their own pleasure. But it's a stern warning to Timothy and to us as part of the church. We cannot let this be true of our own lives. We absolutely cannot. And it's a struggle every day. I struggled with it yesterday. <laughs> Probably this morning too. Um, it's far easier for me to pop in a movie into my computer and watch that rather than prepare for a sermon. It's easier to do that. Okay? But when you slip up there, it's saying, look, I think that this entertainment is more important than what I really should be preparing for. Right? And I don't want that to be true of my own life. And yes, it's a struggle. It's hard. But we cannot let the love of pleasure and the love of comfort and that uh, comfort zone dictate our lives if we're going to be lovers of God and, and followers after Him. Because there, it'll pull the church apart if we're all concerned with what we want. right? If I'm coming to church because I'm comfortable with the message that's preached there, and I'm comfortable with the people that I'm around, and granted, we should all have great community, so I'm not, not saying go find people that you're not comfortable with and, and hang out with them that rub you the wrong way. And that's not, that's not what I'm saying. But if I'm coming here because it's just another layer of comfort that's added to me, rather than the place where I go because the truth is preached and the Word of God is lifted up and God Himself is held high, if that's not true of the church, then it's turned into just something that makes me feel good. I feel good because I went to church. I feel good because I hung out with people that are generally okay. Right? That cannot be true of the church. We cannot be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God if we're going to call ourselves a Christian, someone who follows after Christ. And that's Paul's warning to Timothy. And he warns, warns furthermore in verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Um, Luke and I have been joking back and forth um, that he gets all the stuff on false teachers and I get all the stuff on encouragement. And <laughs> that's how we've been kind of going through First uh, and Second Timothy. Well, here we go. Here's my, here's my chance at some false teachers, so I, uh, I, I don't want to uh, miss this opportunity here. It says of um, these, these liars <laughs> that they have a form of godliness but deny its power. And I can't think of a sterner rebuke than for someone to say, ah, yes, I recognize that there is a God and the next words out of their mouth, they water down the message and they deny the power of the gospel of God. For example, you might hear someone say, God is love. And you think, okay, that's a good point. God's love. And then they'll say in the next breath, God wants us to love one another. Also good. And then they'll say in the next breath, and that's how I figured out that the highest good is that we ought to love one another and all dwell together in, in unity. 
right? Aha, there's a slip up there. They've just said that all that, we, all that we are is how we relate to one another. They left God out of the picture altogether and how we relate to Him. Right? And if they say, oh, we ought to tolerate one another and love one another and dwell together in unity and just realize that deep down inside we're all the same. Right? You've <laughs> yeah, I recognize that we're all the same. That there's nothing good in me. There's nothing good in anybody else. And how do I know that? Because God says so. Right? Don't get, don't because of people twisting the words of God's love towards mankind, don't be lured into the trap of thinking, oh, because God loves other people, that the highest good that there is, is loving other people and dwelling in tolerance and community with everybody. Right? That's not the end all be all of human life. Now, granted, Peace and unity are a great thing, right? But it ought to be peace and unity because we're all focused on God. Not because I'm just going to tolerate you and all your wrongs and all of your beliefs that aren't true and kind of just paint over them and say, oh yeah, deep down inside we're all the same and therefore we ought to get along with each other. See, that's, that's a false peace. That's a false tolerance. And it's a lie. We cannot just paint over sin in the world around us and pretend like everything's okay, right? Now, it's tempting. I'd like to pretend like everybody's okay and that we can all just get along. It's a nice little ideal little world that I can live in. But I've, I've, because I'm, I'm having a form of godliness, because God does command that we ought to love one another, doesn't he? Right? It's a form, but they've perverted the conclusion of it. And by perverting the conclusion of that godliness, they've denied all the power of the gospel. See, the gospel does not say that we're all basically okay. And if you, if you twist the gospel into saying that everybody's okay, you've taken away its power to forgive sin and to restore us with God. Right? The lie takes away what the gospel is really saying. If we never admit that we're sinners in need of a Savior, we can't be saved. You've taken all the power out of the gospel if you deny that. And that's why Paul says, from such people, turn away. Don't let lies about what God wants us to be dictate our life. We have to know the truth. Prevent that truth decay. And Paul says that the, the people that promote, promote this sort of stuff, they're the t- type of people who creep into households and make uh, spiritual captive, as it were, of uh, gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. See, Paul's saying here that there's people who, because of their own lusts and their own sins and their, uh, their own uh, lusts, they get, they're easily persuaded into uh, a feel-good message uh, of one that lacks the true power of the gospel. And he says a hallmark of that in verse 7 is that they're always learning 
but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And you, you know there's quite a few messages out in the world today where it says, ah, if you finally understand this, then I'll give you the next thing. And then when you get to the next thing, then, it's, then you need to understand this little thing, and then there's more, you know, and I'll tell you that next week. And then and they keep coming back and coming back and coming back, and there's no end to it, right? It's all circular and hidden and ultimately uh, a lie. The gospel is simple. The Word of God is for everyone to believe. See, God didn't make the Bible so complicated that only a few people could understand it. You don't get to be part of the spiritual elite by reading deeper into something and understanding it. Oh, well, that's really misunderstood. If you take it in the, the, the cultural context of the day, it really means, you know... And I've heard the Bible twisted a thousand different ways by people claiming to say, oh, we understand the true cultural context of how this was written. And then they say anything they want to about it. Uh, I've, uh, one of the most uh, recent ones I read was um, uh, a commentary that was saying that there's no reason that women can't be pastors and leaders in the church because, you know, back in the day it was a male prevalent society, but now us and our enlightened, that's no longer true of our society and it's no longer culturally true. And so we ought to have women uh, elders and pastors and so on and so forth. Well, you just denied what the Lord of God said, Amen. right? You've twisted the truth, and I've seen it over and over and over again. But if you don't know the truth, then you become one of the gullible people that can be led away. And they're led away, notice it says that they're loaded down with sins and led away by various lusts. It's because our heart is deceitful that we get tricked all of the time. And we have to keep coming back to the truth to know what the Word of God says. Because our flesh lusts after things that are not spiritually good, but they feel good, right? It's that love, those lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And so the first areas that those lies get in is by the sins in our own lives our own lusts, our own desires, our own entanglements, right, that it, it talks about in, in Romans uh, 12. It says, lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares us, right? It's our own sin that creates the first cracks for the f more lies to get in. And that's that's our first line of defense. Be honest and real with our own sin before God. Right? We have to admit to God, yes, this is who I am. I am a broken sinner in constant need of the grace of our Savior. Yes, yes we've been saved from the eternal penalty of our sin, but our sanctification continues, right? So we have to be constantly on alert to our own, uh, our own faults, our own failures, our own weak points and blind spots. And how do we know <laughs> what those weak spots and blind points are and all that stuff? Well, because we compare ourselves to what the Lord commands us to be in the Scriptures, 
right? We say, is my life demonstrating these fruits of the Spirit? Am I living my life out the way that Jesus lived his life out? Compare ourselves to him. And I'll tell you, I'll be the first one to admit, my life falls so far short of that. But if I don't acknowledge that, right, if I'm a proud and boaster and haughty person, right, that's where the lies start. And they'll go further and further and further until we're led astray. Uh, in verse 8, Paul brings two characters in who are not named by, by specifically by name anywhere else in the Bible. So I had to do a bit of digging to figure out who these guys were. And I don't even know if I'm pronouncing their names right, so forgive me. Um, but in verse 8 it says, Now, as uh, Jonas and Jambres resisted Moses. So it gives me a clue there. So I went and did, did some digging. And um, these two guys that are uh, named here um, are the, the, the oral traditional names for the magicians that Pharaoh had in his court that perv- performed the magic that tried to uh, resist Moses and to, and to uh, explain away uh, the, the plagues in Egypt and the, and the miracles. And uh, so let's just, actually, let's just turn there for a minute. Uh, you got to turn all the way back to Exodus chapter 7. So it's a big left-hand turn, almost to the front of your Bible. I'm going to turn there myself. Just read you a couple of verses, because um, they tie neatly in with the chapter. Okay, Exodus chapter 7, and uh, I'll start in verse 8. We're just going to read verses 8 through 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Aaron's, or sorry, when Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went in to Pharaoh, and they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and sorcerers, and that's where these two guys come in. That's that's them right there, his wise men and sorcerers. So the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. I'm going to stop there for just a second. When when it talks about this in detail, we can see that these guys were able to do something similar to what Aaron did. Aaron threw down his staff, and it became a snake. And these guys said, ah, we can do that. Your God's no mightier than ours. Right? And so they threw down their rods and changed them into snakes. Um... And uh, by whatever uh, uh, demonic powers they were in in consort with. And it was a direct resistance against Moses. Saying, Moses, your uh, claims to believe in God are no greater than our claims to believe in our gods. Right? No better, no worse. It's, It's the same. We can do exactly the same as you can. So why should we believe you? But... And this is where I'm going to finish reading in in Exodus. Uh, 
but in verse 12, it says, but Aaron's rods swallowed up their rods. Okay? And there's where you see the power of the truth. <laughs> see, the, the people that lie about who God is and about what the gospel is all about and all that sort of stuff, their message might sound a whole lot better than what I'm up here saying now, right? They may be far more gifted of speech. They might have a far larger audience than what we've got here today, right? And all those things may say, oh, look, they're doing just exactly the same things. They're preaching the truth. But see, the truth <laughs> devours the lies. It shows them to be falling. It says that, indeed, in this uh, passage. It says in verse 9, in, back in 2 Timothy, it says, um, But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. You see, these two guys, Jonas and Jambres, the magicians in Pharaoh's court, Sure, they were able to duplicate some of the things that Moses was able to do. But ultimately, if you keep reading through here, ultimately, they're not able to do all the things that Moses can do. That, I shouldn't say that Moses can do. That God can do through Moses' his, his spokesperson, right? The power of God far exceeds what these magicians are able to conjure up. And... Pharaoh, of course, hardened his heart because of these magicians, right? He denied the true power of God that Moses was trying to tell him. And, of course, we know that Moses was one of the gentlest servants that uh, the Lord ever had, right? Tying back into the last week, that Moses was trying to persuade Pharaoh of the truth, but because of these magicians conjuring up their own tricks in Pharaoh's court, Pharaoh found the excuse that his heart was looking for to not believe in the power of God. And it says ultimately uh, in Exodus, if you keep reading, it says ultimately that the magicians were not able to stand before Moses because of the severity of the plagues. Right? Of course, they were able to conjure up weaker images, right? The weaker serpents that their rods turned into, that Aaron's rod then ate up. Sure, they were t I believe they were also able to turn uh, water into blood, but God turned the whole Nile into blood, <laughs> right? Now there's power, right? Yeah, who cares if you can do one bucket? God did the whole river, <laughs> right? That's the comparative power of God and the truth to the weak conjurings of lies. But it says of these men, they resisted the truth, men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. See, that's why we have to be on the lookout against false teachers, is because the first appearances, all their conjurings might appear just as good, if not better, as the real thing. But, Ultimately, their folly will be revealed. It will be shown. It's not a, oh, maybe someday. It will be shown. But we don't have to be misled by all the things that the world's trying to present us with. If you want to be told that your particular sin is okay, 
You can find a community that practices that and they'll tell you that's okay. If you want to feel like you're a religious person, there's plenty of churches that you can go to that will tell you that just by sitting in the pew, you're a religious person. You don't have to do anything more. right? There's all sorts of lies available to us that are just us being stamped into the world's mold, squished into conformity with it. And it's a deniance of the truth. And that folly will ultimately be made manifest. So what are our takeaways from this? It's been a lot of, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. We've talked about all sorts of lies and deceit and bad character habits and pitfalls of sin and so on and so forth. What's the takeaway for us? Right? Well, the first one, obviously, is found right in verse 1. It says, But know this, that in the last days perilous or difficult times are coming. We should expect it to be difficult to live life as a Christian, to be ridiculed for the truth that we believe in, and for it to be difficult to stand up for what we know to be true. See, the world will say, this is true for me, that's true for you, let's all get along. That's a lie. Right? It is a, because God is the one who dictates truth. Right? And so when I stand up for what I see in the Word, I'm not standing up for my own personal viewpoint or my own personal truth. I'm standing up for God and what He says. And I'd much rather be on His side than any other organization or affiliation in the world. So that's our first takeaway is it's going to be difficult. Don't be deceived into thinking that your life is supposed to be easy. It's not. It won't be that way. So don't be deceived. Expect difficulty in dealing with the world. Be prepared for it. Second of all, we've got a whole list of 19 things here um, that are true of people that in one way or another believe a lie, right? The, the lie of pride, right? The lie of pleasure is the highest good. Uh, the lie that um, love is whatever we decide it to be, right? All these things we ought to be warned about and know that they're lies and make sure that we, in living our lives and doing our, uh, and acting out, um, uh, our own life, that we don't discover these own character, these same character attributes to be true of us. Right? If I see that I'm a proud person, I need to go right before the Lord and confess it and say, "Lord, I just did something out of pride. Help me to overcome it. I just, uh, I just did something that didn't show the proper love towards someone else that they're due." Right? I, did, I didn't show proper respect for my parents or I didn't uh, love my kids properly or, or whatever the situation is. Right? We need to be on the lookout so that we don't fall into these same traps. There's quite a list here. We should know what these things are and be on the watch for them in our own lives. And thirdly, I want to just caution in, in verse 5 where I talked about... Um, 
those who have a form of godliness but deny its power, we, uh, we ultimately have to be not okay with just knowing and, and growing in knowledge and trying to uh, just continually learn and learn and learn and learn and never arrive at the true power of the gospel. Um, we need to be on guard against that because if we're just always learning, right, we're just being a hearer of the word and not a doer like it says in James, right? It says don't just be hearers of the word even if it is the truth, right? Don't just be hearing the truth but be doing the truth, right? If someone is saying, look, there's more information and more knowledge that you need to understand before you go out and do anything, right? They're keeping you on the bench of life instead of out on the playing field, <laughs> right? We can't fall into that trap of thinking, I don't know enough. I need to have more knowledge of God before I can do it. Commands of God are simple. Believe in Him. Trust Him. Be part of the body. Do the good works that God has prepared for us beforehand. Don't just be drinking in all the head knowledge and all the information out there, right? They call this today, they call this the information era, right? There's plenty of information. If you want information on anything, science, uh, history, uh, you name it, there's information out there by the, the truck full, right, that we could spend our whole lives learning and never doing anything with. Far better to be a doer than just a hearer. But make sure when you're a hearer that you're hearing the truth. And so um, uh, I'm reminded of that uh, song that we often sing out of our hymnal, uh, Tell Me the Old, Old Story, right? And there's a stanza in there that says, um, let me see if, how well I can do this from memory. Um, it says, uh, Tell me the old, old story, for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest, right? We ought to be so uh, drinking in the gospel, that old, old story and the truth of it, that that's what d uh, just is, flows up out of us is that wellspring of life towards all that we're around. It's encouragement, one believer to another, right? The gospel's not just for the unsaved. It's for us too, right? We need to remember who we are in the sight of God. And I can say to a brother or sister, brother or sister, you and I are saved. We are, <laughs> we are redeemed sinners, you and I. That's what we're celebrating. That's the gospel. It doesn't stop being true just because you believe it. It becomes more true, <laughs> more impactful in our lives, right? I need the gospel. I need to be living it out. I need to be before the world saying, I am the servant of a Savior who loved me this much, right? That's who I am. That's what dictates my identity. And the more I live in light of my risen Savior, the more impact I'm going to have on the world for good and, not, <laughs> and show them the real power of the gospel and not just having a form of godliness. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us the truth. <laughs> you say <laughs> of yourself, you say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Lord, help us to follow you this week, seeing the lies that the world has for us, seeing our own sin and the opening uh, it creates for deception. Lord, save us from our deceitful hearts. Save us from the difficult uh, times in this world. May we stand unashamed for your truth. As Paul uh, says in, in Romans, may this, uh, <laughs> may this govern our week this week, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes. Lord, may that uh, be the motto of my life, uh, both this week and going forward. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would impress this truth deeply into our uh, hearts and minds today. Lord, we pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.